Welcome back to 2021 Biteside. I'm Seamus Byrne. This is a show about technology and games and digital culture, all those fun things. And we're coming back right in the thick of the great tech show that is CES. <laughs> Nick Healy, you're here with me again. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I can't tell if I have a bit of CES FOMO. Uh, you and I did more of a few, more than a few trips to Vegas together to have a look at CES, or whether it's it's one of those kind of maybe gilded 2020 memories. You're like, oh, it was such a good time. But is it actually a good time when you're there? I don't know. I can't remember. I've been kind of... Amazing what's coming out of it, given that um, it is a, a virtual uh, conference this year. It is not its usual kind of massive halls to walk your way through. Um, I can't tell if that would make things easier or harder for people. Um, certainly, there's all the weirdness you'd expect at the moment, um, which I think, and, and call me crazy, but do you think CES over the past five years has lent in to those really crazy high concept ideas that weren't necessarily the technology you and I were ever going to use. We were never going to go out and buy it. We were never going to see it. There was kind of almost this implicit idea that it might never make it into a retail shop, but it was what was attracting the attention. I'm thinking even, do you remember the Rolkers? The the powered skates that worked by walking on them, so you didn't skate in a normal motion. You stepped... And then they were weirdly gyroscopically stabilized to then, so you could like get something like 15 mile per hour on these rolling shoes that you stepped in. Horrifying concept. I couldn't wait to try them. Of course, they never went anywhere. Do you think we're seeing a lot of that? Um, yeah, I think there really is. There's a lot of that sort of stuff out there. But in some ways, like the thing that, yeah, kind of hits me is, right, like, uh, and to jump back to your earlier point there about whether it's great or horrible, um, I feel like, you know, as Australians, when you go over there, if you're covering it on your own for an Australian outlet, <laughs> it is really hard, you know, and there's always been that, you know, hats off to those folks who are just doing their best to write up as many things as possible um, for an Australian outlet, but they're the only person's kind of there working. You know, we've had that experience of working with the CNET global team where we have Ah. dozens of people on the ground and you just kind of get allocated different bits and pieces or get told to go and walk a particular show floor and look for those cool things. That's where I think more of that stuff has started to shine through is a better sort of ability of, or like I think just smarter management of those large team outlets to make sure people go scouring for kind of the weird things because Yep, we're all going to hear about the latest TVs and we're all going to hear about, you know, the latest phones or PC announcements. You Mm. know, all those keynotes always just tell us the same stuff and everybody hears about that. But then there are like literally, you know, what, like almost 2,000 exhibitors at that show. Oh, it's it's insane. I was not prepared for how big it was when, when I went to my first one. Not at all. Yeah, and so that's when you do start to see kind of some of those cooler things and those clever first little nights. Like, it's funny, you know, we've got notes here on different things that we're going to sort of touch on and that we've spotted so far. And again, this year I signed up for the digital version of Pepcom, which is one of those kind of preview (laughs) nights before the major (laughs) event kicks off. And they did a digital version of that again this year, and that is totally one of those spots where – 
some of those companies kind of see that it's like, you know what, we're not necessarily going to be able to get the attention on the main show floor, but at that one-off media night when every major outlet's got somebody there and you're only competing across maybe, you know, like 50 or maybe 100 at best, you know, different stands at that kind of a night, if you've got something fun and clever, then people are going to write you up. And that's actually a really great opportunity compared to just being hidden two floors down, 100 rows back in the third (laughs) hall of CES. I'm having flashbacks to Pepcom now because you'd end that day, you'd end Pepcom, and you'd be like, I write five stories, and CES hasn't technically started yet. (laughs) Yes. And you're just like, oh, that's right, this is this. Look, the other thing we should point out is that so much happens on the floor, but a lot of the real news is actually taking place in meeting rooms. Uh, they're in hotels. They're tucked away. They're one-on-one briefings. Some of the truly big reveals that are going to actually impact companies and impact technology aren't on the show floor at all. Yeah. Yep. Look, you know, going back a few years, I remember being like being invited to go in, yeah, some like uh, hotel room in... The pl- uh, in the, uh, the the one that looks like it's in Venice, um, that hotel. <laughs> Venetian. <laughs> I was hoping you'd get there eventually. <laughs> it's literally called the Venetian. <laughs> anyway, um, going to check out this you know exciting new VR thing and like having a meeting with a couple of what are now like ridiculously wealthy senior executives from Oculus at yeah. the time who would because they weren't. You know, oh, it's a bit hard to get on the show floor and we don't want to spend that kind of money yet. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's like just this little hotel room demo. Um, so many of those out there. And it's something that actually I remember there was that phase where they sort of, you know, for CES, it's like they don't earn any money if someone's just in a hotel room. So that's uh, when that's they finally right. booked out that extra hall over in the sands. Um to make a bit of a kind of a cheaper, more accessible space so that they could go. Maybe they did the maths and went, okay, how do we make it cheaper than them booking a suite at a hotel? <laughs> and that's where the Rolkers were. I'm just fixated on them now. I'd forgotten all about <laughs> them, but while I remembered on them. So let's, let's talk about this year. I think the one that has captured everyone's attention because it is just so absolutely now and it's something so relatable is Project Hazel. Razor's N95 mask. What did you think? I'm I'm kind of in love with it in the sense that, you know, we all, we want a polished futuristic version of what it means to have a mask, right? Like we, you know, we all kind of have dealt with our fabric masks and things and that's all great and lovely and I think people have... But especially right even last summer here in Australia, knowing the smoke elements and why N95 is actually, you know, it's at a kind of higher level of protection than just sort of a, you know, hospital mask, that kind of stuff. I I just love that a company like Razor's gone, you know, let's kind of style this thing up. Let's give you that cyberpunk cosplay <laughs> vibe so that you can kind of embrace making this thing as part of your outlet outfit it has the led lighting on it so you can again like all their other stuff you can say what colored lights you want it to be kind of showing to match your outfit or just blink or do whatever kind of cool crazy stuff but but the little details of things like having the 
the carry case have a UVC yeah. disinfectant system, like actual stuff where you go, even if they never release this, I kind of like that idea of going, let's sort of point to what companies should be thinking about when it comes to you going, if we have to do this stuff more often, then let's make it cool. It's transparent so people can lip read through it. Look, it's really clever. I but didn't notice the transparency bit. But, yeah, cool. but, and it's all recycled plastic as well. They're very, very um, happy about that. The question is, is this another razor concept that doesn't actually properly exist? Yes. Because we've yes, seen a lot. Is. I know, but like, will it ever exist? We, you know, how many times have you and I sat down and talked about, remember when Razor did the modular PC where you just hot swapped bits in and out of it, like a rack? Yeah. Now, what it did that? No, it did not come out. There's so many no, things I... they've done over the years that have never happened. Is this just an attention grab or are they genuine about this? See, I feel like, like this, this feels like something that they could do. Like, and in some ways, it would almost be more of a disappointment if they didn't release this in some way um, than if it was like totally made to order, right? Like, don't don't try to distribute this like you're distributing mice and headsets. Uh-huh. Like, I totally get that this isn't the kind of thing because I'm sure it's going to have costs attached to it that are in a completely different ballpark to just having a handy thing that you know you can stick in your pocket and put on your face when you need to. Um, but I, but it's it has kind of a different level of what does this mean for, you know, this important phase of healthcare that is kind of more and more important. And like, yep, this is you know, hopefully this pandemic gets under control, you know, by twenty twenty two, and this becomes less important. But there's plenty of signs out there that is attached to climate change is more disease and issues related to these kinds of things becoming more common. Give us our cyberpunk mask, please. Please. All right, sure. <laughs> I, I'm i going to say no, it's never going to exist. <laughs> I yeah. don't think we will ever say it. Yeah. I don't know. Look, it, the other one that's grabbed my attention today, and I've got to admit, I've not been mired in this particularly. Um, I've been just coming in and out and seeing what people are chatting about. Samsung and Bot Handy. Have you had a chance to watch any of the videos around this year? Not even remotely yet. Um, I'm unfortunately in your team where if I didn't, like, apart from getting up in the middle of the night to then force yourself to watch the keynotes, and look, it's a whole other discussion that I want to sort of get into a little bit, but it's like, man, they have not built this thing to be browsable in no. the way that I expected it to be. Um, so tell me about this thing. Bot Handy. Wonderful name. I, I first time I looked at it, I thought, what a stupid name. And I've been rolling it around in my head all today. And I'm like, you know what? I love Bot Handy. I've, ta- I've changed my mind completely. I've done utter 180. I love the name. Imagine one of those tall Dyson air purifiers. And then imagine yep. it's on wheels and it has an arm attached to it and a couple of digital eyes that change expressions. It is a household robot that Samsung reckons can stack a dishwasher, fold clothing, pour you a glass of wine, get something out of the kitchen for you. The video has it taking away glasses and rolling around and uh, even putting a flower in a vase and setting a table and, yes, pouring you a glass of wine, as I said before, which is what I think everyone's just excited about, a wine robot. 
Do you remember things like the Omnibot 2000 from back in the 80s that uh, were those, uh, you'd get them from a Tandy and it looked like this absolutely cool little robot and it had a tape deck built into its chest and uh, a cup holder on one thing so it could bring you a drink around and you were <laughs> like, oh my God, this is the best it were. Okay. I was like, oh my God, this is the best thing yeah, ever. I'll that. die if I don't <laughs> have an Omnibot 2000. <laughs> this is it. This is it in a functional way. All that thing was is a remote control thing that could run up and down and play a tape. This actually looks like it might do what Samsung says it does, although they are relying on cameras and AI, and uh, we've seen how well that can work sometimes. Have they confirmed that the eyes can't turn red? They have confirmed, so therefore it can't go evil. And yeah, that's, that's exactly. the main thing. If the eyes can't turn red, it can't go evil. I think it can do a cross expression, so uh, we could be edging in there. It might only turn red when you're not looking at it, so just over your shoulder, the eyes yeah. turn red as you turn the light off and walk to the bed. But when you turn back, it's all completely normal. Yeah, but other than that, I mean, you know, I'm going to rate it 80% not evil. Yeah. You get on the phone call to Samsung tech support and say, um, why have the eyes turned red? That's impossible, sir. Yeah, the <laughs> eyes can't turn red. Their eyes are red. <laughs> I genuinely think what they've done with this is build on what has been, I think for them, a very successful robot vacuum push. Uh, yeah. You look at sort of what people talk about when you know they are t- doing the robot vax. I've got one recently. He's incredibly basic, and, and I love it. When you've got something with a lot of smarts in it, like what Samsung and LG and some of the other big companies are putting together, it can make a real difference. And I think they've taken their, yeah, I'm going to say it, learnings from that and um, made it into something that's that little more household robot that we've been promised for a while. I think it's going to be ridiculously expensive. I think this is that one of those first generations that we'll be forgetting about very quickly. But I think this is maybe the genuine tipping point uh, beyond Zen Boy and all of those awful bloody things we've seen in the past, a genuine tipping point into something that has a practical application around the home, not just a cool application. Yeah, and look, yeah, I'm just looking at the photos of it. I haven't sort of clicked play on anything because I don't know where the sound will go. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I'm... <laughs> I'm looking like it does. What I really like is that so often with these things in the past that they've tried way too hard to make it humanoid in that you know way where it's like, well, it has to have legs and it has right. to walk around and it doesn't. Or, yeah, or if it doesn't do that, then it has to be ankle tall, you know, and just look up at you with its camera and be awkward, you know. So I like that they've shooting for a really practical solution to that sort of a problem. It looks semi-industrial. You could imagine it looks like it's got the same sort of armature and styling that if you saw it painting a car in a factory, you'd be like, okay. And you're right. Exactly that idea. You know, the number of times where over the years you see something and you go, that looks cool, and they're like, oh, we're only selling it for industrial usage. And you're like, (laughs) why not make a version of this for normal people? Come on. So... I, yeah, you're right. I'm kind of on board in that sense that it, it looks like it, it's good. And if you're in a two-story house, if it goes evil, then unless it has jetpacks in its base, then you're okay. Um, <laughs> is the base a robot cleaner or is it like, – because well, I'm like, that would actually be kind of awesome. That actually it- would be kind of awesome. Although, to me, one of the joys of having a robot uh, cleaner is it gets under the bed, which this thing is not going that to be able to do. That is a very good point. So um, maybe – I haven't seen anything like that, to be honest. I'm going to say no, and if I'm yeah. wrong, I'm sorry. Now, also, total aside, mm. um, 
but I saw a great uh, Amazon Alexa program that somebody did, and mm. I apologize if I just triggered that for anybody at home. Um, but somebody uh, showed their command that they created for if they uh, if their house is being invaded and that they can you know, issue the command, and then it says it turns off all the lights, it starts playing the uh, you know, the latest Doom soundtrack, <laughs> um, and then it releases their Roombas. <laughs> that's very very good. <laughs> and you're like, actually, that's kind of awesome. <laughs> I really like that a lot. All right, so I'm going to say bot handy. I'm going to keep an eye on that. That is probably some of the more genuinely intriguing technology that I'm seeing so far, and I know it's very early days. There's always a tendency to wipe out um, CES the day after all the keynotes. You're like, well, I guess that's that done. Uh, It does go for days, but from what's happened at the moment, that's the one I'm really, really interested in. I've got a weird little anecdote for you uh, just to kind of break stride here a little bit. Okay. Many, many years ago, I was in Shanghai. I'm pretty sure it was an HP trip. I apologize if it was someone else. I can't remember. Been there for a few days. We're all getting ready to go back to the airport. And I realized that I have had the song Africa stuck in my head for three days. And I cannot, for the life of me, work out why in Shanghai, I've got that stuck in my head. And then just before we were heading out uh, for the bus to take us back to the airport, I ducked into the loo and realised that every urinal I'd used since getting there was Toto branded. And subconsciously, (laughs) I'd been seeing the name Toto and just started singing Africa to myself. And I'm saying that because Toto actually launched a, is it a digital toilet? I've been loath to read too much into this. Yes. Um, They have made, you know, look, there's a very sort of, you know, uh, Asian market, Japanese quality to, you know, the idea of having incredibly smart toilets mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that wash and dry and do all these fabulous uh, commands for you. Uh, this Toto toilet is about, you know, wellness in that broad sense. Mm. Uh, it will apparently, it will uh, scan your body. It will... I can't remember if it said it will weigh you. Um, I don't know if I want my toilet weighing me every time I sit on it. But one of the big ones was it will scan your key outputs. Key, <laughs> key outputs. Yes. Is, that is mm, one of the slickest huh. euphemisms I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm really uncomfortable with that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that it, it seems to indicate that it, by scanning your key outputs... <sighs> Um, it can then give you wellness feedback on perhaps things you might want to change about uh, your dietary intake. I mean, I'm wondering if it's as simple, and I really don't want to overthink this, but it's like, is it just like a dehydration-related type thing or is it actually doing some kind of you know molecular scanning technology that is able to pick up on weird emissions that are outside of normal parameters. Is it just a camera running things through the Bristol stool chart? (gasps) Perhaps. Perhaps. I mean, that is a real thing. That wouldn't be too hard to do. You wouldn't have to worry. I mean, you know, when we talk about things like digital toilets and look, let's be honest, robot vacuum cleaners, all these kind of things, we are putting in so many fail points. A toilet works because it fills up with water and then water pressure works to take things away and it's all really simple. Do you want to be calling a plumber because your stool analyzer has shorted out and now your toilet won't work? No. 
Um, Good. And you know what? Like, there, yeah, there really is kind of one of those weird things with some of this where it's hard to even know about like local distribution stuff, right? Like I could imagine someone really rich just going, I'm just going to order this fancy toilet from overseas because I want it. And then you're like, exactly. Say, if something goes wrong with it, who is going to service that thing for you? Um, you, it's definitely one of those product categories where I want to know that there is a local distributor who is going to take responsibility for repairing it for me if something goes wrong with it. I don't know what it's like for you where you are, but I don't think I've had a single thing done to the house in a year that wasn't an off-the-books job with a tradie just out of his (laughs) apprenticeship who was just making a bit of money on the side in between actual jobs. Sorry to anyone I'm on out of just then. Um, But... (laughs) I don't want an off-the-books tradie having to come and have a look at my $5,000 smart toilet. (laughs) No, but look, I love that this technology is out there. If it works, it definitely, you know, it, the way that this video is presented, this was a Pepcom presentation. I'll sort of point out. Good, good, good. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, it, this is a big brand, you know. Again, it isn't. It isn't like a Silicon Valley startup trying to no. solve your toilet woes. Um, in exactly that sense, it makes it feel like for them, it's an evolution of smart toilet tech that they've already been doing in different ways. You know, I noticed things like it didn't have the giant button grid that some of those, um, you know, Chinese or Japanese toilets will sometimes have mm-hmm. that. If you're over there in a hotel or something, you look and go, I just, which button just flushes? He he doesn't know how to use the shells. It's one of those moments. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm like, I I mean, I totally expect this will be something that comes to market in some of their territories because, you know, they're mature in that sort of context of, uh, you know, being able to sell this kind of smart toilet tech to their core markets. And let's be honest. Toilet is probably the one thing you don't really want to be disrupting while you're trying to use it. Um, (laughs) Screens, foldable screens, foldable phones, rollable screens. We've seen iterations over the years. There are, you know, in the market now, uh, foldable phones. I've got to say, I've not seen any in the wild, so I can't comment on how much people are enjoying them. Uh, But LG is showing off a rollable phone, and maybe that is something that could be a game changer. Yeah, and look, I think one of the things with this is uh, the more I kind of read around it, I think they have shown this at past events. I don't know if it was past CES. It might have been, you know, the maybe it was Mobile World Congress, you know, something like that. But I've seen it's a, one of those. I've seen a rollable screen from LG before, but it was a TV style. That was screen. yeah, one of their TVs. Yeah, and it was kind of really cleverly done in like a you know big kind of. Uh, furniture design, so mm. it sort of disappeared mostly and then still had a little slim edge to show, like, music or different things. Like, it was a, a really kind of clever it, design. It was. This one, the the thing that weirds me out about it is the fact that it's kind of rolling from a standard smartphone size. It rolls out to, like, a square kind of a screen in that way that you sort of go, what what exactly is it enhancing about my screen experience when it's an odd form factor instead of it, you know, doing something that means I now go, oh, yeah, this is now a, you know, like if it kept rolling to the point where suddenly you twist it sideways and you've got like a huge, um, you know, widescreen Mm. that then disappears back into a normal sort of smartphone size, it feels like 
this one still feels like a tech demo to me where they're sort of but but one of the headlines i saw totally said that this is going to be available this year um and i guess in that sense it's like good luck to all those people who buy the first generation so that the rest of us might get an actual useful second or third generation version of this sort of device. Yeah, please. Look, I think, you know, you and I have chatted about the folding phones before and it's a bit of a classic, just because you can do the technology doesn't mean people are going to find a use for it. Um, You know, my phone is big and I I think the phone's the perfect size. In fact, I rarely use a tablet anymore um, at all, to be honest. I pulled it out last night to read a comic, but um, I've really taken to watching TV. I want to watch is on the TV now and other things I'm doing on my phone. A a phone that unfolds to something that's not quite as big as a tablet is, is genuinely of no interest to me. But a phone that was much smaller than what I have to carry all the time that then unfolded into a regular size phone, I might be more interested in. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And it's one of those things where, you know, I kind of feel disappointed that all that the kind of hype that was starting to appear around the foldable Motorola Razr kind mm. of, you know, relaunch of that brand, that clamshell idea, totally in my head felt like that's going to be one of those really clever foldable screen concepts i think it like it launched it just felt like it kind of launched and most people just went oh well, yeah good for that like i kind of hope that they do iterate on that idea a bit more as well because that totally does feel like the kind like right now i'm actually i've switched to the iphone 12 mini um just sort of last week to kind of start spending some time with that really, you know, the smallest of the iPhones available now. And I really enjoy having that kind of like size device where I don't have to think about whether it's going to fit in this particular, you know, jeans pocket or whether, you know, I can reach the thing on the screen when I'm just trying to tap things quickly. But then the other side of that is I definitely miss exactly as you say, if I'm like, trying to watch a video or particularly share a video. You know, sometimes we've got a bit of a, a thing in the family where I'll save, like, funny things I've seen online during the week and we go to, you know, family dinner on Friday nights and I'll, like, show my mother-in-law just funny things that, you know, we thought she'd enjoy too. And I can totally sense that you kind of have to pass it around when it's the much smaller screen. <laughs> but you can't just hold it up and everyone can comfortably yeah, see yeah, it. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's that idea. Again, give me the smaller device that then can be a bigger device when I need it to be. Um, so I, I feel like we're, you know, we're getting closer by the year and I don't want to poo-poo this LG without having used it myself. Um, so I, yeah, totally hope that this stuff sort of just keeps getting us closer and closer to that. It depends on. It just depends on what we want. Um, There was a Nokia of all people concept video ages ago. I think you might remember it, uh, which had it was all animated. It was very cutely done, but it had someone folding their phone in half and then wrapping around their wrist, where it became their smartwatch. Oh yes, like a little like a little snap bracelet almost. And I'm like, well, no, but we're onto something here. You know, this, yeah. you know, things changing form and their function changing with that form is where we probably are going to end up. What we don't just need now is something that changes for the sake of it. But you, I'm just when we're talking about those phones that unfold, I don't, I just don't know how much use you are going to get out of that. Is it just going to stay in one form factor the whole time? Are you really going to be using that all the time? I, I, yeah, we're going to get somewhere. 
And yeah. surely, and, you know, I don't think anyone wants right now a phone that rolls up like it's a ballpoint pen and sits in your top pocket. Yeah. But we, when that technology can be used, when we work out what we want to do with it, I don't know. It's As you said, it's nice to know it's there. And it feels like... Yeah, that, you know, steadily we're closing in on that moment when some company, you know, has its iPhone moment for a rollable screen, you know, a foldable screen. Like, you know, remembering back to when smartphones, you know, once the iPhone kind of launched, it was just like, oh, this is just a different class of device. Like, you know, whereas when we play with Windows phones and then, you know, everyone was kind of testing out different ways of what it means to have a smart device in your pocket, that I feel like all these tests are really important because they are kind of closing in on that moment when one company or another is going to sort of, the, the pieces are going to fall into place for them and they're going to say, wait, this is the way that this is going to be genuinely useful and exactly as you say, that it's going to be something that you, you will regularly want to use. Um, rather than buy it because you think that's clever, and then you go, yeah, I never use that. Yeah, no, I, I never do that. I never do that anymore. <laughs> Look, I mean, one thing that you know jumps out at me is like I saw the Lenovo X1 Nano. This is a, at this CES, mm. and it is a folding screen laptop. And the first half of the video demo I saw, because of course everything's a video demo. We haven't been hands on, etc., etc. But it's totally like both sides of it are pure screen. So it is, you know, a laptop concept, um, but every every side of it is screen, and then it folds in the middle, and so it kind of has a hinge that looks a lot like that sort of, you know, the Surface Pro type hinge, hmm. which has kind of got that rounded edge on it. But I'm watching the video and I'm going, who wants to type on a bloody screen? And then the video shows this great. ThinkPad keyboard, which has always been, you know, one of the huge selling points for Lenovo ThinkPads has been how good their keyboards are. Yep. It has this special kind of slide-in tray slot so oh. that some, once you go into a normal uh, laptop form factor, you then have a proper keyboard that just covers half of that screen. Not a virtual and keyboard, a proper keyboard. Exactly. A oh. proper keyboard just kind of goes ka-chink and slots into that space so then you're in a proper laptop mode and then you slide that the hell out of the way when you want this really big screen tablet space. And it was, the, again, that kind of idea. We go, that is a really good idea. Again, who knows if someone you know, bought it and then I snapped the keyboard when I slotted it in my bag. I'd like, no idea, but it's another one of those videos where I went, oh, they've really started to think again of no one wants to type on a screen all the time if it's laptop-sized. How do we fix that? Here's an option. That is really, really clever. Look, we should say more broadly, one of the things I think I've learned the hard way from CES and covering old ones, even when someone is looking you in the eye and giving you a price tag and a launch date, do not assume that that will ever happen. Yes. A uh, famous one was LG when they were talking about some of their first OLED TV, the one that had the flamingo leg stand. I was over there, LG Australia. They gave me an exact date and an exact price. And, of course, that product never actually arrived. I don't think it went to market anywhere. Um, yeah. CES is often very speculative, but even when people are telling you it's not, take it with a giant grain of salt. I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah, completely. 
Shall what, we... what else is worth touching on? I think we've kind of, you know, we're, we're running out of time here. Mm. I, I just wanted to very quickly mention micro LED because it is going to shake up the TV industry yeah. for the first time in a long time. OLED has an actual competitor, but also I feel like you have to give kudos to the whole TV industry for the fact that they've managed to basically create enough marketing confusion that <laughs> people didn't just go, oh, OLED really is the best thing around. Let's get an OLED TV because everything else kind of sucks by comparison with like QLED and ULED and all these acronyms to try to say, yeah, we've also got the next generation of televisions right here. Um, so it's been a giant mess, but now micro LED <laughs> is actually an OLED competitor. Look, it doesn't help by the fact also that when you look at the price tags of some of those uh, technologies, they've never been great. Not when you can walk into Harvey Norman, lay down 600 bucks and walk out with 50-inch TV. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the problem. Sometimes no, you, you know. just need, yeah. You yeah. A big one for not crazy money and, oh, and it's got Netflix built in. Great. Easy. Yeah, thank Done. you. That's what we need to buy. <laughs> but this one's $5,000 and will hang on your wall. Not interested. Thanks very yeah. much. Look, it has been I really did just warm out my TV. First time ever. You know, that was like, it was an amazing moment. <laughs> has it changed your life? Are you feeling good about it? I, I am. I'm loving it. I, I, feel, I, feel, I feel like I live in a house that I own, which like technically, <laughs> I mean, you know, I've lived here for five years, but it was like, wow, I was allowed to do that. <laughs> Look, moving on a little bit from CES, uh, yeah. just really quickly, you and I talked about this a fair bit last year. Uh, Telstra doing that amazing bundle deal with the latest generation yeah. Xbox. I bit the bullet. I've actually done that. So I haven't got the Xbox yet because, of course, none are in there. Uh, but it's going to bundle up the hardware uh, plus uh, Xbox Ultimate Live, whatever it's called now, the full works. Um, and it's uh, just, I think, about 45 bucks a month. Um, I did run the numbers on it. It's actually a little bit cheaper than buying the unit and paying for two years of, of, of the Xbox cloud gaming. So I'm really happy with that. We're just going to see how the delivery goes. But um, I yeah. would like to see more of those sort of deals happening. I think they're a really smart way of doing it. I, I was thinking when you, yeah, when you said you were going to mention this, like, does Telstra have a secret stash of they Xboxes? Do they that... do not. I am still waiting. <laughs> they still can't give me a time, and I'm okay with that. Um, yeah. It's been interesting because I, I do think I'll bite the bullet this year and get a PS5 or early if I can. Um, people aren't even taking expressions of interest. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. just none. And that is wild to me. And I do want one because I've actually started playing another bloody Assassin's Creed again. I had a little moan the other week where I'm, too many Assassin's Creeds. I can't keep <laughs> up because I've enjoyed them. I, I was reviewing them back on 360 when they were coming out. Uh, but I'm playing Valhalla. It's a load of fun. It's just, it's by almost entirely ignoring anything related to the mythos, even though it does wrap everything up and actually answer a whole bunch of questions, you don't need to be paying attention to that if you don't want to. You can actually just have fun as a Viking, and there happens to be some stabby-stabby as well. Um, I think it might be one... I think it's probably the best in the series since Black Flag. I've been loving it. Oh, yeah, yeah I okay. don't. And Black Flag was a high watermark for me, pun intended. Yep. <laughs> Um, that's actually, that's really cool. I know I haven't started playing it yet. Um, I keep wanting to dive into it, but you know, a new Warcraft expansion came out a couple ah, of months ago. Ah, I'm still in the thick of that. You're lost. <laughs> you're absolutely lost. Um, look, I'll give you my little sort of, uh, thing for this week. I've been testing out the left-handed Razer Naga MMO mouse. Huh. 
And by testing it out, I mean I've been slowly discovering that there is no way in this lifetime I'm ever going to learn to use a gaming mouse with my left hand. Ooh, okay. And as a lefty, it's kind of disheartening and saddening. But it's not the mouse's fault. It's realizing that the keyboard is the problem. Because I would have to remap all of the way in which I think about keyboard positioning, including like WASD, everything kind of that you know and love about where the standard key set setup is for under your left hand. I would have to relearn how to put my fingers on a keyboard to play games. Is there a gamepad that could do that, a mappable key gamepad? So there is, like Razer has another yeah. device and I actually would love to try to test this out after having had this experience. It's called the Tantalus. I think that's right. <laughs> and you basically rest your hand like on top of the device and it kind of has a whole sort of tilt system and under your thumb is even a control stick and then under your fingers is like another sort of Basically, you know, all your kind of number row and a bunch of other keys are within easy access of all of your fingers so that Mm. you basically have all your movement control, you have your main couple of mousing buttons, and then you have about like 15 or so keys. And then, of course, you could still use your other hand to define a few other sort of keys. But the fact that that movement itself is controlled alongside the, you know, the mouse kind of positioning uh, all on that one device, it's like that does feel like that could be the thing that go, okay, yep, this makes sense to sit under my hand in just the right way compared to this issue of needing to kind of remap the keyboard um, when it's all sort of built on there. And, like, look, this has 12 buttons on it, you know, alongside all the other normal mouse buttons. So it's all programmable and all that sort of stuff. But within the MMO context, I've already sort of, got a lot of those buttons reassigned onto a you know previous right-handed version of a you know 12 button mouse and i can totally feel the way i have more finesse under my fingers on my left hand when i'm trying to use a mouse that way it totally feels right and i think it is going to get me to move to using a left-handed mouse for general like day-to-day computing which i've just never kind of really committed to but this is kind of that thing where i go you know what yeah for normal day-to-day Usage, I have to start using left-handed mouse. But for gaming, that's probably where I have to kind of stay committed to the other mode because I'm just that feeling going, it's too late for me, but I want to encourage every, any other young lefty out there to go and get one of these and, you know, train your body to do it the right way, the, right, the way it should feel right under your hands. Look, bring back the Logitech Cyberman 2. That's all I can say. 20 <laughs> years ago, it was ahead of its time. Even if it was useless, it should be back. It should be fantastic. Should we yeah. wrap it up here? We should, yes. A quick shout-out to this month's uh, member support thing. We we started last month. It was awesome. We've had, like, honestly, dozens of people sign up, which has been awesome because that's just people putting money on the table to support Byteside doing yeah. stuff. And this month, big thanks to Blue because they've given us a Yeti X microphone for our member draw this month. So that's like 300 bucks worth of a really good mic. And we all know we need a good mic at home these days. I think you've sometimes used a Yeti when I you've recorded. I quite you? very happily use the Yeti Raspberry, one of the older models, but it is one of the best USB mics I've ever used. 
Yeah, so really cool and totally, yeah, just feels like that nice thing. And this is a genuinely useful thing for most people these days. Um, so, yeah, nice thing to be able to give away this month. So that just means go to ByteSide and go to the uh, support button at the top of the site and you can sign up and you'll be in the running. Um, and having mentioned that there's dozens of members, it's like, it also means it's one of the like best odds competitions in the world, all you have to do is throw us like a coffee's worth of money and you'll get yourself into a drawer every month. So Go and do uh, it. That's huge. Do it. Yep. And look, also, big thanks to you, Nick. So we're changing up some of the way the show mm. works in coming weeks. We'll probably take a couple of weeks out as the rest of the Biteside team comes back on board for this year. But, um, yeah, we're going to sort of start bringing in more of like uh, Hope and Chris and Alice and some of those guys who are in that sort of regular writing team. When we started doing this podcast, it was literally just me wandering around trying to do bite-side stuff. And I said to Nick, I know you're busy, but any chance you want to meet up every week to record a show? Um, and so that's been a huge part of helping me to even go, I need to make commitments to other people in order to make this thing a regular thing. And now I have a team of people that are writing on the site and I should feel like I should put them front and center more so that, um, you know, People aren't just reading their words, but hearing their voices more too. Yeah, look, absolutely. It's been loads of fun over the, what, 50-plus episodes we've done. Um, I'll still be back here and there, but, you know, you've exactly. got an amazing team there at the moment, and, you know, you, this should be focusing on them. Thank you. And, yeah, look, we'll definitely, part of the new format will be a couple of members of the team, and then we will, on a more regular basis, get, you know, guests from around the industry to come in and have a chat too. So should be a lot of fun. And absolutely, in that context, I'm sure we'll hear from Nick again if with this show or other shows or certainly when we bump into you at the Paxes of the World, which <laughs> 2021, please let us all see each other in person. Please, at some point, sometime, safely. Where, where can people find you, Nick? when you're doing all your other stuff. Yeah, come and track me down. I do host the ABC Breakfast Program at ABC Western Plains. You can hear me from 6.35am. Uh, you can use the ABC Listen app to do that. It is just a regular brekkie show. You'll learn a lot about the Western Plains if you don't live here. Uh, otherwise, find me on Twitter. I am at dr underscore nic. And I'm at Seamus, and the site, of course, is at Biteside and at The Biteside on Instagram and ask at Biteside.com if you want to shout out and tell us your thoughts. And, of course, Biteside.com for all of the awesome writing that that cool team has been up to uh, as we spin things up for the new year. Thanks again, Nick, and we will all catch you soon. <laughs>